Good morning. It's Saturday, April the 11th. We are reading through the Bible, both Old and New Testament, every single day. And we are in 1 Samuel. And we, we run into an interesting word in chapter 7. And maybe you've heard this in an old hymn if you grew up in church, Ebenezer. There's something called an Ebenezer stone that's set up there. And if you read it in context and you remember it, you'll know next time you see this in a hymn or maybe some old book or something, someone talks about the Ebenezer, you'll know that this is the original context of it. A stone, an Ebenezer, means that God has helped us so far to this point, which is a great reminder in looking forward to the future with hope and confidence in God's faithfulness is that He has been faithful to us in the past. He's helped us so far. He's helped us to this point. And that's the reminder that Ebenezer Stone, it's a memorial, it's a monument, which is not a bad idea for us to think about ways to memorialize God's faithfulness in our lives. Chapter 8 and 9, we see that Israel is demanding a king. And if you look carefully, you'll see that um, there is a rejection of the theocracy of God directly ruling over Israel through the mediation of priests and prophets to this monarchy, a king, which of course was all part of God's providential plan, and yet uh, they want to be like all the other nations. That's the stated reason. And uh, that's an important lesson, isn't it? So that we are not uh, the kinds of people that just want to be like everyone else. Uh, we want to remember that God is a God who wants us to follow His directives, even if everyone else is not doing it. Uh, and yet they demand a king. And as God says, you're not rejecting, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me as king over them. And then he ends up giving them a king, even though if you read carefully in chapter 9, God is directing all this. But what God is directing Israel to is a king that is exactly what they wanted. Uh, they wanted a, a tall and a handsome and a successful and all the secular metrics. They wanted a guy that would just represent them well like the other kings of the ancient Near East. And so God gives them exactly what they wanted. And Saul becomes a king that is really a tragic story as it begins here uh, in uh, the middle of the opening of, of Samuel, Samuel's uh, chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 9. Um, starts well, but we see it's not God's choice. As a matter of fact, the next king, David, becomes a man that is chosen uh, by God through Samuel at the end of his ministry as a man after God's own heart. So in essence, as I like to say, uh, God said basically you can pick the first one and get what you want to find out it's not what you need, and I'll give you uh, the next one. I'll pick him for you, and that was David, of course, which is a great type that looked forward to the ultimate king that we need, which is not the imperfect king of David, although he was a man after God's own heart. God wants to provide us with the king of kings, Jesus Christ, the son of David. And so anyway, this is a great beginning historical context for understanding the beginning of the monarchy in Israel. In our New Testament, we're reading through Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, at least the first half we're reading through, those opening verses just hit us hard with the reminder that we're called to repent and if we don't repent, uh, eternity's at stake. Uh, it speaks of the issue of our need being to turn from our sins so that we don't perish. And there's a, a strong warning and exhortation there also, not just for salvation. In the next section, there's that discussion of the barren fig tree and uh, reminds us that God expects Christians to bear fruit. And we need to want to bear fruit, not just 30-fold, but 100-fold. We need to want to see fruit in our lives, and we need to be making, as we're learning in the evenings, every effort to add to our faith. And um, that's a good reminder of it there. And then the mustard seed, he ends with that parable there, at least the first half that we're reading today in chapter 13, um, remembering that the beginnings of the church and the kingdom of God uh, through the church in terms of God's reign in our hearts starts really small, in Jerusalem and Judea, it goes to Samaria and the ends of the earth. 
and it grows large and you couldn't stop it because the gates of hell will not prevail against God's plan. And his plan is to reach people from every tongue, tribe, and nation through the church. So that's our reading, 1 Samuel 7-9 through 9 and Luke chapter 13. Now the one another for today is found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. And I'd like you to focus on implementing this, understanding it, thinking about it, meditating on it, and then making sure that we do what we can to uh, put it into practice. Now, a lot of the one another's have to do with love, and here's one, but I want to emphasize the thing it says about loving one another. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, it's important because love is at the top of the thing that keeps everything else in place. If you love your neighbor, you're going to make sure you don't violate a number of commands against them if you keep it up at the top. So it's a good reminder, above all, keep loving one another. And then it adds a word in the Greek language. It's translated here uh, earnestly or sincerely or deeply or fervently with a depth in your heart, a sincerity. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And then he says, since love covers a multitude of sins. There's always a limit, it seems, to the way we want to love people. We love them insofar as things go well or they don't displease us or they don't violate any you know, trust that we have, or as long as they don't sin against us. And this passage reminds us the undergirding love that we have for one another is not in respect to how well they perform or how they do or if they offend us. It's about loving them as Christ loved us and doing that earnestly and sincerely all the way through the depths of who we are. In other words, there's nothing we're going to hold back because we don't find uh, enough value in the person that we're called to love in the body of Christ. So this one another, I should remind you, all the one another's have to do with how we relate to the body of Christ. There's an extension and an application to the world, obviously, but we are to love one another in the church. And in this text, it says, and do it earnestly. And remember that, that your love is going to cover, it's going to overlook a multitude of sins. So love one another today and do it and focus on it and find out how you can do it in your own thinking as you think this through, as you, if you can do it earnestly, sincerely, zealously, fervently in your day and find out ways to creatively do that and express it. And we'll be back tomorrow to continue through our reading. Be sure to comment on uh, whatever it is that might have struck you about the reading today. And uh, we'll be back to continue our reading through the Old and New Testament tomorrow.